church. It's going to be the year of our hallelujahs in 2013, and it's going to be good. Psalm 2713, which is on all the placards that are out there that you're going to see in just a little while. It's become an anchor verse for our church. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Hallelujah. It's going to be good. So in Williamsburg, during the worship service this fall, uh, we were there, and uh, I was worshiping, and, and, uh, and I began to pray about this night. I began to pray for this message that I knew that I was going to have to preach uh, this weekend, this last January of, of 20, uh, for, for 2014, but for 2013, looking ahead for, for the year 2014, because we, we always want to cast some vision that's not just for the year that we're going into, but makes us ready for the years that come after. Does that make sense? So I'm standing there praying and worshiping and and uh, and because we also want we want to preach messages that God would want to speak you with me not just our own ideas and so this is this is the the word that God spoke to my heart I've never heard his voice I say I feel his voice and I felt him say to me the seventh year and that's all that he said the seventh year now I knew what that meant because as you begin to dig around in the mosaic law as you begin to dig around in the old testament you find that the seventh year which is called the sabbatic year is a very distinct year it's a very unique year every 6 years they would end up in a seventh year that was called the sabbatic year and after there were 49 years so seven cycles of 7 years you'd end up in the 50th year and that was called the year of jubilee now, if you're looking for something to study, you should dig around in that. We're not going to talk about all of those tonight. But I knew that when God said to me the seventh year, that he was going to use the narrative of that story to speak to me about the things that I was supposed to challenge our church about moving into 2013. And I found three things in there that I want to share with you tonight that I feel like God said, hey, these are the things that I want you all to challenge yourselves together individually. And I want you to challenge yourselves corporately as a congregation. And so you get into this idea of the seventh year, that six years would pass by from the moment that the Jewish people entered into the promised land thousands of years ago, the clock started. So six years passed and they got to year seven and Moses says, hey, there are some special things that need to be different about this year and needs to be forever as long as you possess this land. If you've got your Bible, you can turn You can turn to Leviticus chapter 25. I'm going to start there. And the first one is this. It's our fruit. It's our fruit. Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 2. Listen to what it says. It says, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. And when you have entered the land, I am giving you the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest. Now they understood a little bit about this idea of a Sabbath rest, right? Because it took six days for God to make the world. And then on the seventh day, right? It's a Sabbath day. It's a day of rest. We're going to be preaching on that in 2013. It says for six years, for six years, you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. Now, I want to read a, what I believe is a pairing verse to that text, and then I want to talk about it a little bit, its significance to us. This is out of John, beginning in verse 9, chapter 9, verse 4. John 9, verse 4. It says, we must quickly, this is Jesus talking, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us, speaking of the Father. The night is coming, the night is coming, when no one 
can work. Now, when we look into this idea of a sabbatic year, this seventh year to the Jewish people, we understand that there was an agricultural significance to the land being allowed to rest. In order for that soil to continue to be fertile, in order for that land to continue to produce a crop for generations to come, it needed a break. Just like you need a break every six days, you should be practicing a weekly Sabbath. Again, we're going to be talking about that in 2013. The earth needs a break every six years, and so they would allow that, that, that ground to rest in the seventh year. Now, it had an important agricultural significance, but I believe that there was so much more to that. I believe that, that part of what God was saying to a nation is that, hey, I want you every six years to set aside 12 months to remember that the greatest fruit from your life will never grow from the soil beneath your feet, but it's going to grow from the soil that's in your heart. He said, I'm going to create a nation that every six years, sure, they're going to labor, sure, they're going to toil, sure, they're going to have to provide for themselves, sure, they're going to have to do the things to live and survive, just like we have to do things to live and survive. But on that seventh year, I'm going to create a year that's special and that's unique to a nation so that they can remember that their lives, the most meaningful part of their lives, the fruit of their lives has nothing to do with what they create by way of material possession. It has everything to do with what they labor and endeavor to create that's going to be born out of the soil of their heart. And so the reason why we pair it to John 9 is because Jesus steps onto the scene and he reminds us, hey, one day it's going to be dark. I think he's saying one day your life's going to come to an end. One day the number of your days are going to be over and you're going to have to stand before God and there's going to be a basket of fruit that you bring that has nothing to do with this temporal world. And Jesus stands up in a moment of history and he said to them and he's saying it to us tonight, make sure that you've got a lot of fruit in your basket. Make sure that you give your life to the things that really matter. So I graduated from high school in 1985. It's a long time ago, I know. When I'm doing stuff on the internet and you have to scroll down to the, you know, the box is a drop down box for your, for the year and your date of birth. I have, I, I'm having to go much farther, you know, it used to be right there in the frame, you know, so now I've got to keep, I've got to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. It's getting further away. So I went away my, my freshman year, I went to Randolph-Macon up in, up in Ashland. And, uh, and so on Christmas break, we were all excited to, to go home, went home for Christmas break. And, and my mom, whenever we would go on vacation, we'd be gone from the house for any amount of time. Everything has to get unplugged. You know, it's one of her things, right? Everything has to be unplugged. It doesn't matter what it is. It all gets unplugged. And so, right, I was afflicted with this terrible condition. And so when we were going away for, for our Christmas break, I knew I had to unplug everything in the door room or something terrible would happen to me. And so we unplugged everything that was in there. And so we went home for Christmas break, had a great time. We come back for Christmas break. Now we have one of those little refrigerators that, that many of you have who are in college, right? You got one of these little refrigerators. Many of you know where this story is going. It's not going to be pretty. So, so, right? so, so we, we get there and I go and open up the refrigerator and there was a smell that came out of there. We all passed out and when we woke up, we vomited, right? And then we fainted again, right? It was one of those smells. It was so bad. There was a half gallon of eggnog. Yes. True, true story. So I say, I've been, we've, we've been here for five years. Say, I saved some stories, right? Just to break them out fresh. 
So, so a half gallon pet eggnog, because every other eggnog is an imposter, I'm just saying. So pet eggnog, right? Half gallon of this cardboard container. I, I kid you not. It had a green wig that it was wearing. There was stuff growing out through the cardboard. It was, looked like this green wig on this, on, this, on this thing of eggnog. And so we went and we found some trash bags. And, 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 we, and we delicately, with like trash bags on our hands, reached in, right, because it's toxic. And we put it in here. It's double bagged. And we get it out to the dumpster. But we know we've got to get the refrigerator outside into the parking lot so it can air out. So I reached down to pick up the refrigerator. And many of you know these little refrigerators. They have these little freezers, right? And they get all frosty when they're plugged in. But when they're not plugged in, all that frosty stuff turns to water, right? And it was in the condensation pan underneath the freezer. So I picked this thing up, and out of this stench of a refrigerator, all this water falls all over my pants, all over my shoes. We all fainted again, woke up, threw up one more time, right? So the shoes had to go in the dumpster. The pants had to go in the dumpster. I'm telling you, it was that horrid. Of, it took us forever, ever to get the smell out of that refrigerator. So why am I telling you that story? Because that's all you and I are. We're just a half gallon of eggnog. That's all you are. That's all you are. That's all I am. There's an expiration date that's assigned to your life and assigned to my life. And even if you do everything that you can, even if the refrigerator of your life is always plugged in, you take care of yourself. You'd, you'd be a good steward of your physical body. We're going to talk about that in 2013, being a good steward of our physical bodies. Even if you do everything perfectly right, to give yourself as many days as you're supposed to have, there's still an expiration date that's assigned to you and assigned to me because God did not give us life so that we could stay here. He did not give us life so that we could be here forever. He gave us life so we could start here. I call it being awake in the womb and you and I are not fully born until we breathe our last and wake up in eternity. So Jesus says this in Matthew 6. Matthew 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desi the desires of your heart will be also. All right, let me jump down. Let me jump down to verse 25. Verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and, and enough to drink and enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look, the birds, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Come on, we've got an expiration date. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't worry or make their clothes. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Or Fred and Vanessa during the college makeover. Verse 30. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. 
Here it comes. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. Now he's not saying don't enjoy this life. He's not saying don't have passions that are temporal. He's not saying don't have experiences that you pursue that that just add a richness to your life because he created this world. He created so many of those experiences. He wants us to drink deep from this life that he's given us the gift to have. But what he is saying is do not let those things define you. What he is saying is don't find your identity in those things. He knows that we enjoy a vocation that we've given ourselves to, to prepare and train for. He knows that there's going to be hobbies that we have that make us smile. He likes that. But what he says, that's not what your life is ultimately about. There's going to be fruit that you get to enjoy that's temporary, and he made us to experience that fruit. But what he says is make sure those things don't fill up your basket. Make sure, make sure that as you live your life, you never forget that the most important fruit of all is nothing to do with what's material. It has nothing to do with this temporal realm, but it has everything to do with eternity. Make sure you're filling up that basket too. The fruit of your devotion to Christ, the fruit of your affections for the Father, the fruit of your care for other people, the fruit of your appetite for personal transformation, the fruit of your diligence in ministry and the fruit of your life empowered by the Holy Spirit enabling you to accomplish far more than the limitations of your humanity. We want to be a church that helps you find a basket that's overflowing with that fruit. For some of you, it's going to mean reordering your life. For some of you, it's going to mean restructuring your finances. For some, it's going to mean redefining relationships. For some, it's going to mean a lot of change. And I'm just saying, whatever change God is asking you to make, to make sure that you're storing up your treasures in heaven, I'm just saying to you, one day, the refrigerator of your life's going to open. There's an expiration date there. And the only things that we can take with us is the fruit that's going to last forever. And we want every person in this church for the boughs of their life to be bending and breaking with the fruit that is eternal. All right, number two. We're going to do three. Number two. Let's talk about our field. Oh, yeah, we're good. Leviticus 25. So we talked about our fruit. Let's talk about our field. Leviticus 25, verse 13. Verse 13. In the year of Jubilee, right? So this is after seven cycles of seven sabbatic years. In the year of Jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to you, to your ancestors. And when you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you pay must be based on the number of years since the last jubilee. The seller must set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining until the next year of jubilee. The more years until the next jubilee, the higher the price. The fewer the years, the lower the price. After all, the person selling the land is actually selling you a certain number of harvests. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord, your God. In ancient times, Jewish people were not allowed to sell their land because it was a gift from God to them. They weren't allowed to, to, to make a sale of land that was permanent. 
Now, when they sold land, really what they were doing, they were leasing out their land, and the value of the land was based on the number of harvests that that land was going to be able to produce. And so that's why the price was set based on the number of years for the Jubilee. And so if it was year one, restarting the cycle, there was going to be, right, like 49, 50 harvests that were going to come from that land. But if you're right tucked up against the year of Jubilee and only a couple of years left, the value of that land was lower. It had nothing to do with the land because you weren't allowed to sell the land. You were selling the potential that the land could give. So God says, hey, there's property that belongs to you because by divine providence, I gave it to you. When Joshua and all the people came into the land, it was divided up amongst all the families. And so with those families, it must remain. So I was studying that and reading this. This is what I felt like God spoke to me. He spoke to me about our fruit, and I felt like he spoke to me about our field. Felt like God was saying to you, hey, Fred, there's a place on the peninsula in this city. It belongs to the City Life Church. It belongs to you. The people who own it, they don't realize it, but that's okay, right? They've been holding it for you. They just don't know it yet. But there is a place, a geographic identity through divine providence that is supposed to come to us as a church. It's the place where we're supposed to be. It's the soil beneath our feet, that part of the soil that matters, where we can come together as a church family and have a sense that this is our home. And somebody else, God bless them, right, has been paying the property taxes on that property. They've been cleaning that building. They've been putting the utilities, right? They've been doing all the things, making it ready for the people who are really supposed to have it. So in the fall of of 2000, I'm going to take this off because I keep hitting it with my hand if that's all right. All right. It bothers me. I'm a little OCD if you haven't noticed that already, right? 2008, in the fall, I pick up the phone. I call Nate Nowotny, who's, who's on, the, on the governance team. He was on the, on the base tonight, and, and we were still in the movie theater in Kiln Creek. That's where the church was planted. And, uh, and so I, I, I called Nate, and we had already made the decision as a leadership team to, uh, to make the move to Saturday nights. We felt like God had spoken that to us over the summer of 2008. And so I, I called Nate and said, hey, could you ask, do, do you think there's any room for us at the Mosaic? That's this campus here where we, where we are now. It's a multi-church, multi-ministry campus. And uh, his dad was an elder at that time in one of the churches that was here. And, and, I, and I said, do you think there's any room for us there on Saturday night? And he said, well, I don't know, but my dad's having lunch today with the pastor of the church that owns the property. I'll give him a call, right? And so the conversation began, and that, they were meeting for lunch that day. They were meeting for lunch that day because one of the churches that was here had just turned in their notice. They were relocating to another place. Now, they weren't relocating off of Saturday, but there's still a, there's a number, right, that a property can sustain in a shared scenario. And so they had been full, but it was as though God was giving us some inside information, right? And as the story unfolded, we all knew that God was in it and we were supposed to make the move here. Some of you were in the movie theater that Sunday morning at Kiln Creek where we announced that we were going to be coming here. So we held our first service in the beginning of December of 2008 right here in this room. And we all had a sense of excitement about what was going to come. 
And we began to continue our search for where we were going to go. We knew we weren't going to stay here, right? And so 2009 went by and 10, 11, and 12, and we've still been looking all this time. But we believe in the providence of God. We liked being here because we began to discover a vision, this idea that churches can share property, that ministries can work together, It wasn't part of our vision when we came here, but if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know it's a cornerstone of our vision today. So so at the beginning of last year, the church that owns this property notified all the other renting churches that are here that they were going to sell this property. So all of us, our leadership team, we haven't talked about it publicly with the church we're talking about tonight, all of us had the sense, this is why God has kept us here, Right? This is why. So everybody, it was, it was done well. Everybody had an opportunity to submit a proposal. And I'm just telling you, for me personally, I felt like one of Jesse's sons standing in the line, right? Oh, they're going to pick me, right? right? I'm looking around at the other sons of Jesse, right? There's no way, right? There's no way. If the, these people making decisions hear from God at all, at all, right? They're going to, right? Because, right, you begin to think those things about yourself and not in a good way. And so, so we began to pray and, and we began to talk together as a leadership team. And so when I was on the, the missions trip in the Dominican Republic uh, this past fall, I got an email that popped up that they had decided to, to, to sell the property to another church that's here, right? D- disappointment just swept into my heart. And this is the word, right? Down in Dominican Republic, God spoke to me right away. I shared it with the governance team. Fred, no one can take from you what I intend to give to you. No, Pete... No mistake, people cannot take from you what God wants to give to you. And so what we've been talking about as a leadership team is, is I'm convinced, God didn't bring us here to give us a piece of property. He brought us here to give a vision to, give a vision to us. He brought us here because I think what God's saying to us, I didn't want to give you earth beneath your feet until I had the right vision in your heart. I didn't want to give you the place to stand until you had the right place to believe. And what we have discovered here is a passion for churches and ministries working together that it breaks God's heart that so many facilities, they sit empty the majority of the time. And God knew the decisions that were going to be made. And so when he looked around, because the church that's buying this, they've got a great vision, but they don't have a vision for multi-church campus. They're going to let churches rent here. We're not, we don't have to go anywhere, but that's not their ultimate goal, but it is ours. And I think God was looking around the peninsula and he was saying, who's a church that I can pick to make sure that this vision doesn't die? Who's a church that I can say, I want you to champion this example to the rest of the church. Stop trying to do it on your own. And so as we look into, come on, you can clap. So... So I believe that that God's saying to us, hey, it's about your fruit. And I also think he's saying to us as a church, it's about your field. It's about your field. And I'm believing God that in 2013, we don't know how it's going to be. We don't know where it's going to be. But we believe that God's going to show us the place that we're supposed to go. The land that he has destined us to possess. We want to stand on it together as a church. Okay. All right. Number three. Oh, let me read you this. Oh, this is good. Genesis 28. Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10. 
Genesis 28 and beginning of verse 10, it says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran, right? He's deceived his father and he swindled his brother out of now both the, the birthright and the blessing. He's running for his life. And at sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and he stopped there for the night. And Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and he lay down to sleep. And as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. It didn't yet. But God was telling him about the future. It belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth and they will spread out in all directions to the west and the east and the north and the south and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you Everything that I have promised. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. A good kind of fear, a reverence. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So he named it Bethel, which means the house of God. I know, praying for this message, I started to get excited that our leadership team at some point in our near future, I believe it's going to be in 2030, we're going to pull up onto a piece of property and we're going to look at each other and say, I did not know that this is where God lived in Newport News, but he is here. It's going to feel like there's an open heaven. We're going to walk through the building, we're going to know. We're going to walk through the building and it is as though there's going to be ladders everywhere with angels ascending and descending. And we're going to look at each other and we're going to say, this is our Bethel. This is our house and God is going to give it to our hands. So just like it was for Jacob, it's going to be for us. It's not so much about what it means for us, but it's to set us up and to prepare us to be a blessing to a nation. Come on. All right. All right. Now let's do number three. Our fruit, our field, and I want to talk to you about our faith. Our faith. We'll get these notes online and you'll be able to have these. Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. I want to start reading in verse 9. It says, Moses wrote the entire book of instruction in a book and gave it to the priests who carried the ark of the Lord's covenant and to the elders of Israel. And then Moses gave them this command at the end of this every seventh year, right? That's the, the, so it's the end of the sabbatic year. So there's six, there's a sabbatic year. Now that they're at the end of the sabbatic year. At the end of every seventh year, the year of release during the festival of shelters, you must read this book of instruction to all the people of Israel when they assemble before the Lord your God at the place he chooses. All right, so this is the end of our seventh year, so we can't eat until we read the entire Mosaic law. We're going to take turn. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, dear God. I don't make you say some other words other than hallelujah. Verse 12. Call them all together, men, women, children, and foreigners living in your town so they may hear this book of instruction and learn to 
fear the Lord. That's a reverence. Fear the Lord your God and carefully obey all the terms of these instructions. Do this so that your children who have not known these instructions will hear them and will learn to fear the Lord your God. Do this as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. In Romans 10, 17, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, as I began to study this, I was getting excited because I knew this was part of it. And I was hoping, I was hoping as I read it, that I would find that they were forced to read this at the beginning of the sabbatic year, right? Because you can appreciate the place of faith that they had to stand in. It was, there were no Harris Teeters, there were no Walmarts, no, no Target Superstore, right? If you didn't grow it, you didn't have it to eat. And if you didn't have it to eat, then eventually you would die. There was no, there was no place to go. There was markets that you could go to, but if there was a famine or a drought in the land, no one had anything. You can imagine one year out of every seven years, the people of Israel had to stand in a place of faith like no other year. They were not permitted to grow any food. They could only eat what the land naturally produced. Now, many believe that they had storehouses, right? And over those six years that they would set things aside, but it was impossible for them to store up enough to sustain them. If God did not bless the land and produce a bountiful harvest in each one of those seventh years, the nation would have perished. And I thought, you know, how cool would it be if God instituted the reading of the law at the beginning of the year, right? Because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, but he did it at the end of the year. I found that intriguing. I almost gave up on this part of the sermon. I thought maybe it's what I thought was there isn't there. And then I felt like the Holy Spirit began to whisper to my heart, no, you're, you're missing it. It's actually better this way. Because everything that God does is always better, right? Come on. Whatever we can imagine, whatever we can think of. I think it was at the end of that year. This is what I felt like God spoke to me. It was at the end of that year because I think God was saying to them, if you, th- if you think that it took faith to live off the land for 12 months, You just wait and see the faith that it's going to require for you to accomplish all the things that I'm going to ask you to do over these next six years and the rest of your destiny as a nation. If you think it took faith to find an apple on a tree and a grape on a vine, then you have no idea the God that you're dealing with. The things that I'm going to ask you to do as a nation, the things that I'm going to do for you as a family, if you think that it took faith to get you ready for this sabbatic year, I'm just telling you now, dream big, believe big, because I'm a big God, and I want you to be awash in my word so that faith can be in your heart so that you will not shy away and shudder for the moments that are far larger than your humanity. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Hallelujah. Our fruit, our field, our faith. This is off of Elevation Church's website. It says, Elevation's story started in the heart of Pastor Stephen Furtick when he was just 16 years old. While reading Jim Cimbala's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, if you've never read that book by Jim Cimbala, it's an amazing book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, he came across a statement on page 23 that would change his life forever. This was the quote he found. Jim Cimbala writing, I despaired at the thought of my life passing me by without seeing God move greatly on my behalf. 
And that sentence proved to be a catalyst for a life mission of seeing people far from God raised to life in Christ through the local church. It was over the next nine years that everything started to come together. In 2005, Pastor Stephen and seven other families sold their homes and quit their jobs and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. And on February 5th of 2006, Elevation opened opened its doors with 121 people in attendance at the Providence High School Atrium. In just under seven years, come on, you think that number's an accident? Just under seven years, God has moved in amazing ways and has used Elevation to change thousands of lives in the Charlotte area. Elevation has been recognized as one of the fastest growing churches in America by Outreach Magazine. Through God's favor and relentless pursuit of a singular mission, Elevation Church has experienced over 21,000 professions of faith and over 5,000 baptisms since their launch. From humble and sacrificial beginnings, God has placed his hand on Elevation Church, and we truly believe the best is yet to come. Now, I'm not sharing that with you because we're trying to be the Elevation Church. We're not. We're the City Life Church. I'm not sharing that with you because I'm trying to be Stephen Furtick. I'm not because I'm Fred Michaud, right? But I'm sharing that with you because if if you follow their story, there's a DVD that came out about a year ago. The governance team watched it together. It was a powerful DVD. There were moments in their journey where God asked them to take huge steps of faith that looked like foolishness to the rest of the world. One of the, the, the guys in this, his nickname is Chunks. He's kind of the, the architect the, of, of their group, the, 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 uh, the executive pastor. And they, they, they would make a decision they would share in standing in faith, and they kept cutting to his father, who they interviewed. And every time they cut to him, he always started by saying, I thought it was irresponsible, right? That's his quote that now he's famous for. I thought it was irresponsible. And faith can be irresponsible if it's not faith when it's foolishness. But the difference between foolishness and faith is something very simple. It's called a sovereign command. The foolishness is when we say, I'm going to go try to take these risks and I hope, I hope God's got my back, right? We're not going to do that as a church. We stand and posture ourselves in a place of waiting and praying and asking. We want there to be a sovereign command that initiates every action that we take. And I believe that in 2013, God is going to ask us to stand in places of faith like we never have before. As if God has been saying to us, if you thought it took faith for these last seven years, you just wait and see. John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors in his book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, he writes this, if I'm going to experience a greater measure of God's power in my life, it will usually begin by my, usually begin by my acting faith. Trusting God enough to take a step of obedience, simply acknowledging information about his power is not enough. I have to get my feet wet. Got to get my feet wet. I'm just telling you, you can wait in the boat if you want to. I'm planning on getting my feet wet in 2013. You can wait in the boat if you want to. But when God says come, there's something inside of me. I don't want the expiration date on the carton of my life to come and have to look back and have regrets. Because when God spoke, we're not talking about foolishness, but when God spoke that I stayed in the boat. I want my feet wet. And there was a moment in the story of the life of Jesus as he walked upon the water and Peter was in that boat and he said, Jesus, if that is you, 
Command me to come. Love that he said, I need you to command me. Don't, I don't want an invitation. I don't want an evite. I want you to command me that I've got to come out there. And Jesus said, well, come on, Peter. What are you waiting for? Everybody else stayed in the boat, but Peter got his feet wet. As a church, God is going to ask us to get our feet wet in 2013. In 2013. And I hope you're ready to climb over that side of that boat with me. The Mount of Transfiguration, you find that in the story of the life of Jesus. And he comes down, and, and, and he had been with Peter, James, and John. They saw amazing things. And when they came down from the mountain, they, they, they saw the disciples trying to pray for this little boy who was desperate for help. And they could not help him. They could not. None of their prayers seemed to move. And Jesus steps in and, and, and prays and delivers this boy, heals this boy. And he turned to them and says, oh, ye of little faith. And he says, these things can only come out by prayer and fasting. They can only come out by prayer and fasting. Let me, let me share this quote with you. This is what it means to me. It means that when faith is demanded of us, what we do in the moment, what we do in the moment is of little consequence. It is the preparation before that matters the most. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm, making a decision. I'm, this is day 25 for me on my fast, and I, I'm, I'm going to keep going. Never done a 40-day fast in my life. I'm going to do one this year. I'm making a run at my first 40. Making my run at my first 40. Not because it's just on a bucket list and I want to check it off, but when I get to the end of this year, when I get to the end of this year, I want to make sure that I've done everything that I can that God's told me to do to make myself ready so that when it comes time, like at the bottom of the mountain, like with the disciples, that I'm not lacking in any way to move with God in the way that he asks me to move. I don't want to get to those moments and not have what it takes. In the pathways, they just take us there, and I want to be in over my head. Stand with me. Father, we just declare your goodness tonight. We declare, Father that this is going to be the year of our hallelujahs. We believe with all of our heart that we're going to get to the end of this year and we're not going to be able to find the words to describe the joy that's welling up inside of us because we're going to look back over all that you've done and the only thing that we're going to be able to say is hallelujah, praise our God. Oh God, let this be a year for fruit, a year for our field, and a year of our faith like never before. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.